Can a board member volunteer for another service within the program? Yes, yes, and yes. So um, absolutely, that's totally cool. Um, The one thing to keep in mind, I mean, so first off, when you think of individual board member responsibilities, right, there's their legal responsibilities, there's their ambassador and fundraising responsibilities. And then one of the other hats they oftentimes wear is volunteer, right, for exactly what, you know, whether it's a program, a service within the organization, some special expertise they have that they want to sort of um, volunteer that that expertise or share that expertise. Absolutely okay. What I think is important, though, is to be really clear with the board member that they are not in board member role when they're volunteering. So they are literally wearing a, they are a board member, but they are wearing a volunteer hat. So they need to, they, they have no higher authority at that point. They aren't there to boss staff around, right? They mm-hmm. are, because I've seen this happen, right? Where you get a board member who then still kind of takes that feeling of being a board member and goes in and then, you know, gets gets a bit on their, yeah, gets a bit, you know, kind of authoritative. And it's like, that's not healthy. It's like, you have to realize as a volunteer, you may be taking direction from staff. You may be working, you know, side by side with other volunteers and you are not in board member fiduciary mode at that point. So I think that's just one one little thing to keep in mind. Yeah, even though they have the name tag, but my name tag says right. board member. <laughs> Confusing. I think we all just need a bunch of hats like that people, okay, I'm wearing my volunteer hat right now to like literally remind people that they are what role they're wearing because it can get it can get messy. That would be helpful. It would. Nonprofit governance. Nonprofit answers. Nonprofit board. Nonprofit management. Nonprofit marketing. Nonprofit resources. The Alliance for Nevada Nonprofits presents Nonprofit Everything, the podcast about everything nonprofit, with your host, Andy Shurick and Stacy Wedding. Hi, everybody. Welcome. It's Nonprofit Everything with Andy Schurich and Stacy Wedding. We're happy to have you here. Uh, we've got some requests for you this week. Please send us your questions. The kinds of questions we're looking for right now, we're looking for easy questions. So don't send us a question you have. Send us a question that you think someone else probably has. Um, and that, that maybe that's more fun. So shoot that over to us through the Nonprofit Everything website or go to the Alliance for Nevada Nonprofits page. You can get us there, uh, their Facebook page. And Alliance for Nevada Nonprofits is the producer of our podcast. So we want to say hello to them and thank them for making this possible totally free of charge for you. Our mission and work is heavy. On a daily basis, our team deals with serious and somber topics. We have had a few staff members resign the last several months, and I heard from other staff that they left because they were burned out and just had no more to give. I am concerned this feeling of burnout is going to continue if I don't figure out a solution. Do you have any ideas about no or low cost things that our organization can do to help them deal with the stress and make the work environment better? That is a tough position to be in. Um, One of the only benefits of working for a nonprofit is that the work should be uplifting, Um, that you get the feeling, you know, we call it the psychic capital, that you actually get the feeling once you go to work that, you know, at the end of the day, you feel like you did a good thing. Yeah. Um, You're saving the world, right? The the, the coolest thing in the world is you're you're wearing a logo t-shirt from your organization at the supermarket and the checker says, hey, you work for that place? I love that place. They're so awesome. We volunteered out there and they do such good work. And that's like, that's like, 
your high for like a week after that exactly. because you just like some random person just told you yeah, how hopefully awesome they're you saying that and right? not you suck and we, I had a horrible volunteer experience with no, you. But I don't think that's the case in this question <laughs> <laughs> sorry worst case scenario my yeah, brain just case, went there yeah, yeah don't work at that place yeah. if they just quit because that's not good so yeah, I mean because you need to have that that's important to have um that sort of psychic capital to help you go to work every day because let's be honest you're working in nonprofits. if it's a drag and you're not having fun you can make way more money just going into the for-profit sector and just like not caring, <laughs> right? And then you don't have to deal with it at all. Right. So, so in this case, you know, in, there are organizations in which the mission is really tough on you all the time. I think you need to absolutely take that into consideration when you're constructing staff and make sure that, you know, you say you want a no or low cost solution. There might not be a no or low cost solution that might have to be baked into your mission is making sure that you don't lose employees nonstop because they just like they go home and feel crushed at the end of the day because it was such a hard thing to do. Well, and having that like you know, making that part of when you're doing your interviewing and even just sort of seeing who's the right fit. Some people are better at disconnecting that. I, I, I can speak from experience. I'm very empathic and empathetic and I am an empath. And so I very much carry that with me. So someone like me probably would really suck in a position like that, right? Because I would carry it with me. Um, and you hear about this whole concept of compassion fatigue in the nonprofit sector, those who are always, you know, whatever it is, whatever heavy issue you're dealing with. Um, I do think there's some sort of little... Um, it's not a solution to it. It's sort of more of a band-aid, but it's things that maybe can help a little bit. I think creating a culture where you try to inter- interject some kind of reprieve. So whether that's like, okay, like you've been at your desk too long, or you've been dealing with this kind of social, you doing your social work or your counseling work or whatever it is you're doing to like with somebody, take a break, go for a 20 minute walk outside, like in nature, right? Um, you know, sort of someone like the manager or whomever of that person sort of trying to get people to take care of themselves in it, because it's easy. You get engrossed when you're that employee and you're just kind of driven to continue helping and serving. And at the end of the day, you're not taking the breaks you need just for your mental kind of refresh. Um, I've seen organizations bring in um, one organization I know actually brought in like therapy dogs for their staff, like just to sort of be like, oh, look, you know, this Friday we're going to have so-and-so from the shelter who's going to be here to just or whatever, this therapy dog who's going to be like hanging out with us in the office in the afternoon. So something to kind of lighten that up. Um, I've also seen... I don't actually, I I saw this in the for-profit sector, but I was thinking it would be interesting to do this in the nonprofit sector as well. So you go to events that you see these like massage, oh, look, you know, you get like, you know, bid on this for our silent auction. It's a yoga instructor or a massage or whatever it is. Like maybe instead of using those items at your event, which oftentimes don't raise much money anyways, like maybe you talk to the person who's willing to donate and say, hey, can you come in once a month on a Friday and just spend like for two hours in the afternoon on Friday and like do a a yoga session and maybe it's not two hours, right? No one's got two hours, but, or do like, we can have 20 minute little mini massages for anyone on staff who wants them and it's available to them all Friday afternoon. I think stuff like that shows at least that you care, Yeah. right? I think, I mean, you're right. You need to, in your budget, you need to make sure that your board understands that you need to bake in some self-care for your employees, whether it's, whether it's time off, it could be paid time off. Like this job is hard and we're going to lose people like crazy. And the one thing we need to do is we need to give people two extra weeks of vacation a year, or we need to give them every other Friday off or something like that, just because it's too hard. 
Um, and the other thing is like to actually talk to some medical providers too, because if you're losing people because the job that they're doing is just soul crushing, Ugh. you need to make sure that they're not, you know, you're just not causing them permanent damage by working there Good point. and making sure that you've got like an actual like clinical psychologist or somebody that has some letters after her name who can actually come in and help people manage that yes. and be able to compartmentalize it. Um, if, you know, cause I can, at the end of the day, you you're doing a good thing. Like everything right. in your, the reason your organization, I don't know what it is, but the reason your organization exists is because you are solving a problem. You're making the world a better place and getting people to get that and sort of compartmentalize that, you know, sometimes people can't be helped. Sometimes you can do everything in the world to help somebody and they don't want to accept your help or it just didn't work. Mm-hmm. Um, and being able to put that in a different box than, you know, I need to get my work done today. Oh my God, I've got like 700 emails and all I want to do is cry. Exactly. That's, that's not, that's not no. going to be good for anybody in your employee, in your employee. So you need to make sure that you've got that baked into your organization. And you, your employees might have some ideas around this too. So I'm thinking what a kind of cool thing that would be to at a staff meeting, talk about your concern about this topic Mm -hmm. and say, listen, we don't have the budget. So we're looking for kind of really low cost or no cost ideas, any ideas and brainstorm or like assign. Okay. This week, Andy, you're in charge of sort of our fun moment in, or our like something, you know, our escape moment, right. For the organization. And I mean, that could get a little crazy if people don't do it the right way, right? But, but hopefully, like, I just think, God, maybe have staff be part of the solution with you. What due diligence should a board do before hiring an executive director? Well, obviously, uh, having a process in place for, you know, the, the, as you're trying to recruit executive directors, as as you're trying to decide, are you going to open it up internal, just, you know, internal first, maybe internal and external? There really needs to be, what I find is a lot of organizations are just, right, they're in desperate need. Oh, my God, we got to hire an ED or, oh, you know, this has just crept up on us and we need to do this now. And so they don't put like a good sound process and probably any HR person listening to this would say, you really need to be fair, right? So the process needs to be, what are we doing with internal candidates? It needs to be, a, you know, a same process as far as like the questions you ask, right? Need to be the same for internal and external. But as an example, some organizations choose, we're going to open this up internally first, and then we're going to move to, if we don't have any viable candidates, we're going to move to external. So you need to kind of figure out some of that. Then you got to figure out what are the questions we're going to ask. And I ideally, it's hard to do. If you have a search committee, make sure you have the same people interviewing all the candidates because it's not fair, right, to have three people. It's disrespectful, <laughs> honestly. It is. And then five people here yeah. and then two people here. And like it's all different opinions. It's You're comparing apples and oranges. Yeah. Really bad, right? So after you've gone through all that, then, of course, it's, you know, is it reference checks? Some organizations, I've seen some, depending on the nature of the nonprofit, do everything from a drug test, a background check, a credit check. So depending on the mission and how exactly what kind of work they do, some go to that level. Others just, you know, keep it at a reference check. Um, But I do think getting some HR expertise or having someone, if there's someone on your board with that, who can help advise through the process, because there are so many ways to make mistakes and pitfalls during a hiring process that can come back to bite you or legally, you know, get you in trouble. So I'm just a huge believer in kind of making sure you're asking the appropriate questions. And God knows we've all been in that like 
moment with a search committee where we're like, did you really just ask that question? Because you <laughs> you're not supposed to ask if they have kids or how old they are, right? Yeah, like, I, I mean, guess. don't do that. <laughs> how many months pregnant are yeah, you? Exactly. Like, you don't can't, do that. So anyways, but um, so that's, I mean, in general, what I'd say, what about you and your experience? Yeah, so I, having gone through the process with small nonprofits and bigger nonprofits, uh, I'm always kind of amazed when you hire somebody who's a professional. So you've hired a, a search firm to help you find the next executive director for a larger organization um, because they have what they are bringing is that number one, they're bringing a network of people already, people that they're already connected to that have a set of skills that you've identified as a board is important for your organization. Um, but then they really help you put the questions together. Yes. So they, they tell you like, these are the kinds of things that you need to ask. And they go through the process of doing all of the background checks. They check references. I mean, just as a, as a, like a former person responsible for HR, you should never, ever, ever hire somebody without checking their references. Absolutely. Like, cause you'd be shocked. At how yes. many times you like you're hiring somebody and um, you they have given you two references and you call the first one and the first one's like nah, I don't know that I'd hire that person you're like why did you put that on your application right, <laughs> right. Well, how is this person connected right. to you right so so making sure that you you because because the assumption is like as a professional as somebody who's on a board you're like I would never put somebody on my reference form that would say anything other than perfect things about me right. Um, but but sometimes the people that you're bringing in aren't at the same level that you are. So you have to think about that's that's really important to make sure that you've checked those references. And then the 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 higher the employment references are important, too. But some people can only ever say things like, um, yes, I can say that that right. person was employed here from this state to this state. Uh, and, and then, you know, there there are other ways, especially because the nonprofit sector is really small especially in Nevada. There aren't that many of us, to be honest, and everybody knows everybody else. And um, one of the due diligence things that you can do, although it may not seem totally kosher, is call somebody that you know who knows that person. Um, because you can get, you can even though it's not on their reference sheet, you can still get kind of a candid assessment Absolutely. of like, is that person really going to be able to handle what we're giving them? Or, you know, or what crazy dirty laundry are, am I not hearing from all of their glowing references that I got elsewhere? Um, I think that's I don't know, people may disagree, but I think that's totally okay is to call people around. I mean, recognizing that, you know, if you call somebody that, I mean, I'm sure there are people that if you talk to them and ask them about me, they'd be like, oh, that guy never, well, right? <laughs> well, we all have some <laughs> some of those skeletons in our closet, that's, right? Yeah. yeah. But but in, I think on balance, I think if you called a handful of people, like more yeah. people would say, yeah, he's a good guy than would say, oh yeah, he's the worst guy ever, right? Absolutely. <laughs> but you know what? So, Okay. This is an assumption I make. It's probably not a fair assumption because I know there are some, depending on who you're calling to say, to do the employment reference check. And as you said, you get those that are sort of really stiff or regulated about how, what their response is. And depending on what size organization, you also might get a different response because if it's a large, for some reason, if it's a really large nonprofit that's got whatever, that has the joy of having an HR department and, answer, you know, that person may answer it more in that regulated fashion. Right. Maybe they didn't know the person. But my, my gut tells me when I ask that question, and if I'm asking that of a smaller organization that they worked closely with the person and I get that kind of response, I'll tell you what, for me, red flags go up because I'm just kind of like you added nothing. You, you could have said, gosh, yeah, and we miss this person or, oh, it was so sad to see him go or they were amazing. Like I... I just feel like there's, I would never, even if I had to just check that box to say, this is how I responded, I would still add something like 
yeah, we really were so, that's so cool that, you know, Mary Smith is going to apply for this job. Like, I don't know, something. Well, the, so the, I, mean, I think as a, as a candidate, that would be a big red flag. I think as a candidate, it's up to you to provide references that make the most sense for you. Yes. So, so if you know that, you know, you work for an organization that has an HR person who's super into legal stuff and they know if they call the HR person, mm-hmm. they're going to say, here are the employment dates and the yeah. rehire status is yeah. yes. You know, those are the two things they're going to tell you. That means as somebody providing references, you can say, here's somebody that I supervised exactly. and here's somebody that I reported to. Exactly. And they know that you're going to be calling, you know, and, and you can get information from them and they're going to tell you how awesome I am. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's up to you as the candidate to call those two people and say, you know, I know where you live or mm-hmm. whatever. Right. Mm-hmm. To get them to give you a good reference. <laughs> well, and I'll tell you what, back to your point about references, I do think that people tend to go, oh, of course, it, of course, people are going to put down, you know, people are going to give them a good reference. So why are we even wasting the time or the energy on it? But you are so right, Andy. I could say out of probably 10 times I've ever checked for references, I would say ha- at least half of those times I have gotten a shocking response. Wow. And I mean, it's been more than, and I want to just sort of scratch my head and say to the person, what were you thinking? Or were you desperate? And you really have burned that many bridges that you were just had to put somebody down and you didn't think we were going to actually check it. Um, But I do really, really hope anyone who's listening to this, please check the references. You have no clue what you'll learn or find out. We heard about an organization who had some fraud from checks stolen out of their outgoing mail. What other kinds of fraud should we be looking out for and how do we prepare? Oh, that's a huge question. That's like asking, <laughs> that's like asking for everything. Um, so, yeah, so, so having checks stolen out of outgoing mail, that's what happens is someone, you'll put your, you'll pay your vendors, you'll put the checks in the mailbox and then somebody breaks open the mailbox, takes out everything takes the checks, like erases who the pay to was, puts their name in it, takes it to a check cashing place and the money comes out of your account. Uh, you only find out once the vendor sends you a statement and says, hey, you didn't pay us. Uh, like, yes, I did. And then you look awful. and they don't have it. And then you find the money came out of your account and you chase it down and you can basically never get it back. Um, there, for fraud, there's really two things you should be looking for. Number one, on the front end, there's stuff that you can protect yourself with just to, to make sure that you're aware of things the possibility of things going wrong for you. And then on the back end, there's things you can do to double check that it's not happening so that if something did happen, that you can catch it relatively quickly. So you want to do that prevention side of it and then you want to do the follow-up side of it. So for something like check washing, like the easiest way to do that is to do something called positive pay with your bank. So every bank, if you're, if you're a medium sized, small, small, probably not, but a medium sized nonprofit and you have a a bank account that has maybe an online portal attached to it. Um, You can sign up for something called positive pay, which means that when you cut your checks and you're about to send your checks, you can tell the bank, uh, these are the check numbers. These are the dollar amounts of the checks and these are who they're supposed to go to. And so the check, the the bank is now aware of who those checks are going to and what the dollar amounts are. So if they, if it isn't right. So when the bank, the bank sees that the check has been cashed and either yeah. the dollar amount is different or the pay to is different, then they won't pay the check. They'll go, sorry, oh, that's not how it that's works. Great. So you can kind of lock the checks with the bank by doing it that way. Um, there's also other ways you can do it. You can, you know, just don't put them in the mailbox outside, you know, go right. take them to the post office and drop them off at the post office. We've done that too. And then there are services that you can pay for that will actually, they'll cut your checks for you. So, you know, you do it, a, you're doing it as a, 
um, online and you're approving it, you do your approval process online and you hit send and then you, know, you never actually physically see a check. It comes yeah. from, you know, Cleveland or something, right? Um, so so the, the challenge with this question is it's so big. Like it there's, is. There's I mean, every possible way <laughs> that somebody can think to steal from money, steal money from you, um, they will steal money from you. Yeah, which is so tough. And you know what's interesting is some of the articles, Andy, I talk about that it's oftentimes someone will think it's like a certain department, like, oh, it's it's probably finance because they would know how to do this. It's actually not necessarily that at all. And you usually find that um, it can be anybody. It can be the front desk receptionist in your, right, in your office yep. that, yeah. The volunteers? Totally. Anybody. Yeah. And the, the so the, you know, the when you're looking at like, like cop shows, right, they're always like, they're looking for motive and opportunity. Everybody anywhere near money has an opportunity, has a motive, right? It's right. the money. They want to yeah. take the money. That's yeah. the motive. So, so everybody has the opportunity to do it if, if they're given the chance. Um, and there's lots of things you can do. Just the more complicated cash you think is the easiest thing to be able to steal because you just put it in your pocket and you don't have to work, you don't have to erase right. a check and try to cash it. And that's way too many steps. And that's going to be less likely to have happen. But if you take cash, uh, then you have to make sure that you've got a whole bunch of extra controls in place to make sure that that the amount of cash that you received is going where you're supposed you think it's supposed to go. Have two people open your mail and right. you know, check and write a log when together and initial the log to make sure that the cash came in and or checks came in in the mail if you're expecting checks in the mail. I think, you know, I think about how many organizations have events where they collect cash at the event, right? And if you don't have, and I've heard of some that even have actually had, you know, they have this wad of cash and they're a small organization and one of the staff goes home with it because they're too tired after the event to right. write, like, and that's where the danger starts to happen. And I think it's a temptation. I don't always think, I mean, it's interesting because fraud, you think of, oh, that bad guy, right? That bad person who did that. And, and I'm like, sometimes, and it's so sad to say this, but like, sometimes it's like, you think of a petty cash fund in an office and someone for whatever reason is really struggling that month. And they're like, okay, I'm just going to take out whatever, a little bit of extra money from petty cash or whatever this is. And, or I'm going to take this extra money from this event, but I'm going to make sure I pay it back. Right. And it's amazing. You see how it's like this ripple effect that then they did it once and they got away with it. And it turns into their, they had the best intention of returning it. Obviously they shouldn't have taken it in the first place, but it happens. And so it, it, I think to some degree you do, you do your best to set up these controls and to try to have systems. And if you do have an auditor who's checking against some of this stuff, but at the end of the day, it can still happen, right? Someone can go on a, a work trip and use their credit card and it's for a personal expense, but write it off on their expense report, right? Oh, here was, you know, what I did on the work trip that was work related when it really wasn't. I mean, God, there's all, so many examples. All things I fired people for. Oh. <laughs> so the, yeah. And, and the, I mean, at, at the end of the day, you really just need to, to look at where the most dangerous places are. Cause, cause the, the one that's going to get you is the one that you didn't think of. Yeah. Um, the, one of the things we used to do is we would have uh, an event, like a concert that was happening at a casino. It would be in one of the big ballrooms at the casino. There'd be a concert and then we'd have a table out front with some volunteers and they'd be like, a, hey, you know, they're like a guitar case or whatever, throw some money in the guitar case. Our concern at that point wasn't, I'm going to have two volunteers sit in the casino on the casino floor and carefully count all this money and figure, make sure that the amount of money that was donated by people just throwing money into the bucket is going to be accurate. That was way less important to me than... If somebody in the casino sees a volunteer with a ton of cash, 
they're much more likely to be followed out of the building, conked over the head and have all the money Yikes. taken away from them, which is way more dangerous than Absolutely. being off by 20 bucks, right? So you kind of have to pick your battles and just like think, you know, shore them up as you think of them. Um, try to try to sort of role play. If it's something that you're really concerned about, like sit down, it's fun. Sit down and think like, let's just figure let's, out yeah. all of the ways that we can steal money from the organization. And is there something that would either prevent that or something that would catch it immediately after it would happen and make sure that you put that in place? I think that's, I love that idea because I also think sometimes you get board members and depending on personalities and their background, right? And if they're a part of risk management in any shape or way of their company, it, it's a great thing to say, hey, let's create a task force, a fraud task force, and let's like brainstorm. Yeah, like let's It'll just have fun. some fun. Like, yeah, let's talk about all the potential ways and then let's figure out, yeah, the policies around it or what we can do to create the internal controls. So yeah, it's kind of, yeah, maybe I want to do that. That could be fun. <laughs> be a criminal for a day in my head, right? Okay, Stacey, does a nonprofit org need a vice president position? Well, I'm going to assume that the person asking the question is talking about a board position, so sort of a board vice president. And, you know, the answer really, I mean, there's, there's in t typically it, there is a vice president position, right? Or sometimes it's called a vice chair. Uh, what I like to do, though, because oftentimes people feel like that's a position where it's not a lot of, you know, you don't have to do a real lot. That's what I hear, at least from right. organizations, right? It's one. like the easy, like everyone wants to be vice president or vice chair. What I think makes more sense to make sure it's really an active officer position is to think about whether you want to call it vice president or perhaps you want to call it president elect, or it could be some combination of both. But like to really, is this part of the succession plan, right? For a vice president to move into the president role? Because so many times people just pick that and don't ever expect to move into the president role and other people on the board expect them to. And then it becomes, there's turmoil around it. Yeah. Right. So, yeah. So, so my, my answer is, um, I mean, do you absolutely have to have it from a legal perspective? No, but do you need it? I think it's a great tool for succession planning. It's also a great way if that person is never actually maybe led a committee before they could also be, you know, part of that role's responsibility as vice president is also to lead a committee while they're there. You know, of course, they step in if the president ever, you know, misses a meeting or for some reason, go, you know, is absent for a while, that position steps in. But I really like calling it and like literally spelling out in the bylaws, the vice president is going to assume the president position. So the vice president is also considered the president-elect. I think and some people actually have both. They have a vice president and a president elect. But then you fall back to, OK, it's a it's a VP without really much yeah. responsibility. What, the, what's been your experience? Well, the only time I've ever seen that where there's a president elect and a vice president or or a multiple vice president is because they don't want to, like, do kingmaking. So, like, right now, it was hard enough to decide who would the board chair was for this term. Yeah. And we don't really want to say who the board chair is for the next term. We want to kind of leave it open. Um, so they might have more than one position there. I've Absolutely. seen that happen, but that's kind of wishy-washy. I mean, just figure it out, right? Yeah. But I think the you know, I think you're right to say like, is this? Are you really talking about the board? the The thing that I thought of was it, it depends on what it says in your bylaws. So right. if you have existing bylaws and the bylaws doesn't have a vice president position in it, the answer is no. If right. the bylaws do have a vice president position in it, the answer is yes. Um, if you look at your the, the way the NRS is set up, so the Nevada Rise, Rise Statutes actually say 
nonprofits are corporations. I'm assuming you're a corporation, and a corporation must have the following officers, and it's president, secretary, and treasurer. Exactly. So the NRS doesn't say you need one, so it's really up to the bylaws. It is, and that's a good distinction. And I think there's room, though, for the person asking this question, there's room to reflect on is this a position you want to strategically add so you have some board succession planning in place if that in, indeed you want to move this toward that lens? Because I just I, I think succession planning is a big deal in the nonprofit sector. And I worry about both from a board chair perspective and an executive director position, how many organizations don't have that in place. And I think this really makes forces people to be strategic and thoughtful long-term about, okay, who are we moving up? Who are we seeing being our next, you know, vice president? Also, side note, this is just a pet peeve, but I don't love, it's absolutely, you know, okay for people to call this a president or vice president position. I actually caution organizations against it because there are a lot of executive directors now that are going more with titles of president or president and CEO. And I think there becomes confusion. And it's the confusion you and I had when we looked at this question. It's like, okay, are they talking about vice president on staff or vice president on board? So I am a huge proponent of naming these officer positions a chair, a vice chair or whatever, chairman, vice chairman, if you want to be more formal, whatever, because I think there is more clarity and distinction between that and what could be considered a staff position. Yeah, I think it's sort of title inflation, like executive director sounds important, but president and CEO sounds really important. Yes. And the word president is technically the one that's supposed to be the board, right? President means preside. So you're presiding over the board. It's the same thing as the chair. You're chairing the board. It's just the same, Mm -hmm. the same word used Mm -hmm. two different ways. Yeah. I've seen that president and CEO for a lot of titles and the president kind of is just, you're not the president of the board. You're you're the CEO, you're the chief executive. So yeah, thinking about those, I think, I don't know, I've I've never been super excited about titles in general, but it can get confusing. It can. You've crossed the finish line. Woohoo! Anyways, there's your victory. Uh, thank you for joining us for another episode of Nonprofit Everything. Uh, we couldn't do this without you, and we certainly can't do this without your questions. There is no question too big or too small. Uh, there may be some that are kind of wacky questions, and we love those because those are really fun and kind of make it more interesting. So send us what you got, uh, nonprofiteverything.com. And uh, again, thanks to uh, the organization making this possible and the Alliance for Nevada Nonprofits. Thank you.